Hi there guys, welcome to Group Sanzalos Podcast. I'm your host, Mestre Pedro. This is our episode number 42. On today's episode, I have the pleasure to share with you the conversation that I did with Mestre Marcelo Caveirinha. For those who don't know, he is one of the pioneers of capoeira in the USA. He moved there in the mid-80s. He's also one of the main responsibles taking capoeira to Israel, New Zealand, and China. He helped promote capoeira even more when he did the character Eddie Goro on the video game Tekken 3. He shared with us his journey in capoeira and his many stories. I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I did. It was, uh, you know, really good to have this opportunity. And uh, let me know what you guys think in the comments. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. Enjoy it. I share. Hi there, guys. Welcome to Group Sanzalos Podcast. I'm your host, Mestre Pedro, and this is our episode number 42. Uh, today, I bring, I'm very pleased, very happy to, to, to bring here uh, Mestre Marcelo Caveirinha, which is uh, a mestre that has a, a, a very important role in the development of capoeira in the last, in the last 40 years or so. Uh, he was one of the pioneers of, of capoeira in many places. And uh, it's a pleasure to, to, to have Mestre Marcelo Caveirinha here. Mestre, please, thank you very much for coming. Welcome to the, to the podcast. Salve, Pedro. Thank you for having me, man. No, it's a great pleasure. I, 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 I remember, you know, I never, I was, just before we started, I was talking that I, I didn't get to meet you in Brazil because mm -hmm. uh, uh, the Cordão de Ouro group had a, they had a, a, a considerable influence on me, you know, since, I think since after I came back from the UK in 891, my father had started developing a, a closer relationship with Mestre, Mestre Suassuna and I had a, you know, uh, this, this uh, experience of regularly going to Sao Paulo and, and getting to know, you know, that uh, generation of, of capoeiristas, you know, uh, uh, before the, the start of Mildinho, you know, like uh, Mestre, Mestre Durinho, Mestre Tião, Mestre Flavinho, Mestre Sarará, all those guys. So uh, 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 I had this, this connection with Cordão de Ouro, that, you know, initially and they had an influence on, on my capoeira but also when i when i moved to scotland and uh, that's when i first get to 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 hear about you because of the the around 2000 2001 was the game that came out tekken 3 and uh, eddie gordo was was uh, i was in edinburgh and nobody ever heard of capoeira and and uh, a good way to connect with kids teaching schools or the young guys was actually referring to 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 Tekken three. So it's a uh, uh, it's a very interesting how how life goes the world goes round, isn't it? Uh -huh. If you don't mind, I would love uh, for you to talk about that experience. How how was that experience uh, on? Because that's also, if I'm not mistaken, is the begin of video games becoming really, really big. Uh, how yeah. was that experience overall? Well, Pedro, it was, uh, it was actually very interesting because uh, I, I could never imagine in my life that I was going to be involved in a project like that. You know, I, 
I had been living in the U.S. already. Uh, this the the Tekken. I got the invitation to go to uh, to to go to Japan in in 1996. But uh, this was because in 1995 I organized uh, an event in uh, in the U.S. I, it was like a national capoeira encounter, and uh, and it was very successful. A lot of people came from all over the world, and uh, and then this one guy just approached me, a Japanese guy that heard about the the capoeira. He had never done capoeira before. He only wanted to check it out. And he came to the encounter and uh, and took some classes. He was a total beginner. And then towards the end of the event, he came to me and, and told me, he said, look, you know, I work for this company, uh, this Japanese company that do video games. And I, I love Capoeira now. And I want to suggest to them to, to bring Capoeira into the video games. Would you be interested in doing it? I said, sure, you know, why not, you know? Gave him my business card and then forgot about it. You know, this was in '95. Yeah. You know, I, a year went by and then he called me back. You know, he said, hey, "Remember me? I was in your event." Blah blah blah. Well, I talked to my bosses and and they are interested in in checking this out. You know, well, long story short, well, they they saw. You know, I sent them a video. They liked the video. They invited me to go and do the motion capture in in, in Tokyo. You know. Oh. And uh, so it was, you know, it was all, you know, I didn't, I had no idea what was going to come out of that. But, but there was one thing that was, I already knew there was failing the success of the video game, which was, first of all, there had never been capoeira in any video game. That's true. Yeah. Second of all, Namco, the company that created a video game, was basically... Uh, they were, uh, for the first time, they were revolutionizing the way the video games were doing. Because before, before Tekken, all video games in the, in the video game industry, they were one character on one side and the other character on the other side. In other words, it was 2D only. You know, yes. the, the character here yes. fought with the character here. So Namco, for the first time, developed the technology where the, the, the players could turn around and they could move into any direction. So, so in the video game industry, this was a revolution. And they launched that through Tekken 3, which was the one that I participated. And, and so that was already a, a, a cue that the video game was going to be a big hit, you know. But then there was a story that they had never seen capoeira before. And so when I went to the studio and I started doing capoeira moves, those guys went crazy, man. They just said, wow, you know, they had never seen anything like that. And they got very excited and started, you know, asking for all kinds of combos and stuff that I had never even trained in my life. They started making up in the spot there, you know? Yeah. Because the first, the first day of shooting, I only did individual moves, you know, Pedro. Yeah. It, man, it was it was like a whole day. Every single move that you see in the video game, I repeated it at least ten times, but probably more, you know. And uh, so, basically, 
you know, they just kept seeing that the whole uh, scene. And then they started creating, well, you know, that movement that he did in the beginning, you know, can you now put together with this other movement here, you know? And I said, well, sure, let's try, you know? And we started making the combos right at the spot there, you know? So I, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, had a great time and, you know, from that point on, you know, it's, it's everything is history. It's just like what we see today, you know? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 a few, a few, I, I think, once I was there about, in the, in, I think 2001, I had a student that was an American guy. I used to teach in dance base in Edinburgh. And uh, this guy approached me, it's the same thing. He was doing a master's, you know, and uh, he uh. wanted to do this. And, and I went to the, he was a student of Edinburgh University and I went there to shoot uh, a few things. And it's the same kind, I don't know if it was the same, but I had like an overall with like ping pong balls Pull. Right, right, and, right, and uh, right. my partner, she she's a dancer, and my brother was around, and uh, we we got to do we did a few moves, but unfortunately, I I never I lost contact with with uh, with a guy, and I I don't know what came out of it, but uh, just uh, for the time that we went two times there, and it was we were just it was slightly different because we were doing like a capoeira game. You know, but uh, yeah, it's it a lot of this thing of building it up. But did you have any idea? How did you feel the impact of that afterwards? Well, the impact I felt it was really, really good. I mean, for me, that was the best out of the whole project. Because during the project, it was fun. It was you know, great. I don't know. I went to Japan and I had all the stuff that it was exciting. But uh, when the, the video game was launched, what happened, Pedro, was like, uh, you know, in the U.S. at least, it was this big culture of uh, video arcade. Yes. You know, the video arcade, you know, what we call in Brazil a fliperama, right? Yeah, those yeah, kids yeah. go to those, those places and they spend basically all day there playing video games. And so it was a time that uh, it was very difficult for us to to draw young guys to capoeira class teenagers and stuff like that you know yes. because kids were, were involved in the video game but once when they saw the the capoeira in the video game and they started finding out the capoeira was a real thing and you know at the same time you know there was break dancing and you know capoeira and break dancing are very similar in so many ways and so, so that started attracting a lot of kids to class, a lot of young people, you know. And, uh, and I started noticing that there was uh, an impact. And then, I, you know, in the U.S., I, you know, I, I was in the U.S. since 1984, you know. Yeah. So imagine, in 1996, had been already 12 years that I had been in the U.S., and I used to travel a lot in the U.S. to teach workshops because capoeira was a, was a relatively new, still, it was a relatively new thing in the U.S. But then everywhere I went, some people would come to me and would say, oh, you know, you know, I saw the video game. They didn't even know that I was the guy that did the video game. They would come, oh, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I saw this video game and it was cool, blah, blah, blah. And then I would even joke around and say, okay, so you have been my student all along, you know. <laughs> So it was, the impact was good. I mean, the, uh, generally speaking, I felt honestly, 
Pedro no, was not only in the U.S. He was all over the world. Yeah. You know, everywhere I started going, I saw people talking about the video game and and, and coming to me and telling me, Mastery, thank you. You know, I started training capoeira because of the video game. You know, and so that for me was was the greatest thing I could hear. And uh, and uh, when when did it come out? Actually, the the video game. When did it launch? 96, 1996. 1996. Okay, and yes. yeah, because okay, so so that that was that was uh, uh, and and uh, did it did it open doors for you within within Capoeira? Did you get a lot of other work from this, or did you do other recordings, or that was the only sh uh, uh, film like shooting that you did? For the Tekken, for the Tekken. That was the only recording I did, you know, the only shooting we did, the motion capture was that one. But they, they told me a few things when I did the shooting. They said, first of all, they said, we are not going to use all the data that we recorded. We're going to use some of the data and then the next, in the future, we're going to start releasing the other data for the next versions of the game, you know. And, uh, and so sure enough, year after year, I kept seeing they releasing Tekken 4 and then uh, there was another version called Tekken Tag and then Tekken 5, Tekken 6. In each game, they would release some other moves that I had done on the first time and, uh, you know, they had not released yet. But uh, yes, the, the, the shooting that I did, that work that I did, did generate a lot of work for me. You know, I, I, I started being invited to go to many places uh, all over the world. I started, you know, being invited to do other motion captures for other things, you know. In fact, uh, if you go on my website, there is a there is a video there of me doing some some shooting on, on some motion capture. Yeah, yeah, other scenes which was not for Tekken. It was for some other projects, you know. So it was, uh, professionally, it was a good thing. It did open up a lot of doors for me. It was great. Yeah, and I, I think overall for Capoeira, like, like I said, it, like it helped me four years after I was in Edinburgh and was a, a good way to relate to the kids. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I think it, it's, uh, it was a great way to capture the imagination of a generation, you know, and help really help uh, uh, boost uh, uh, Capoeira overall yeah. Yeah. and uh, and uh, so that was in 96 you you arrived in in uh, in the us in 84 yeah how yeah. how was yeah. the, the the capoeira scene there it was there a lot of capoeiristas who who was already there or how how was that well, in the U.S., you know, the only two people that were teaching there was uh, Mestre Jalon Vieira in, in New York, in the East Coast, you know, and Mestre Accordeon in California, you know. So the capoeira scene was actually very small, you know, even though Mestre Jalon Vieira already had, uh, you know, a decent work that was going on there, you know, with some good students and everything. And Messi Accordion also had a big uh, body of students there in California. It was basically in only those two places, New York and California. Other than that, there was no more capoeira in, in the U.S. And, and so 
And capoeira was really not known. Nobody knew what capoeira was, you know, except for those few students of those two masters. It was very difficult, Pedro, to to get the capoeira from the underground because, uh, it, you know, it was something that you cannot even explain. You know, those days they didn't have internet. There was yeah. nothing like that. So, you know, if you would create a flyer and you put a flyer there saying, oh, capoeira classes, nobody knew what capoeira was. It was like, you know, it was like, what is this capoeira? You know, so so you couldn't just make a regular flyer. You had to to kind of create some kind of uh, information that was educational, you know, and yeah. it had to say all the literature, it had to say capoeira was a, you know, a Brazilian art form that started with uh, African slaves in Brazil, blah, blah, blah. But, but what happened was, you know, it was what we say in Brazil, now, ants work, you know, yeah. ants work. Trabalho formiguinha, né? Yeah. We had to keep doing little by little, little by little. And, and, and I decided, to be honest, Pedro, when I was there, I decided, you know, I'm going to do what it takes. So I really created a lot of uh, drills, different drills in order to promote Capoeira. So I got in touch with, uh, with the local media, with radios, with TVs, with all kinds of stuff. And so I ended up going, doing lectures. And stuff that the Master Accordion was also already doing, you know, the Gelon Vieira in New York were already doing, but we had to do more frequently, you know, and uh, and this type of uh, of a situation it started creating a, a bigger awareness of what Capoeira was, you know. So when the video game came out, coincidentally, the video game came out also. At the same time that uh, a movie, a Capoeira movie, mm. that is called Only Strong, the Only, Only the Strong, Strong came out. Yes. So it was two two new things that were like in the media at the time, you know, because the main media at the time, it was basically Hollywood and video games. That was it, you know. Yeah. They didn't have social media, didn't have internet, didn't have anything. And so, so when they, that happened, then it was a boost, you know, people started knowing more what Capoeira was. And I, I even remember one thing that actually uh, was very interesting that uh, at the time, in, in, the, in the year 2000 or so, there was a, a Brazilian dance troupe that was traveling all over the world. You, of course, you know about it, it was called Oba Oba. Yes, yeah. And the Oba Oba went to San Francisco, where where I lived, and uh, and did a show. And you know, the Oba Oba show was an amazing show. It was a huge production, really well done. And uh, and the next day that they did the show, there was a review on the main newspaper of San Francisco, the San Francisco Chronicle, and and the review, the guys were saying you know all these good things about the about the show and they were saying oh i don't know the oba oba did an amazing show great dancers and this and that and makulele and afro dance blah 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 and then they say but the capoeira was something that could be better something like oh. that you know and so so in a way i was happy to hear that because it showed me that even the media of the san francisco was already aware of what capoeira it was yeah. Because the capoeira at Oba Oba is not there was a bad capoeira. It was there was more an acrobatic for a yeah. stage type thing. 
You know, the guys went there and did tons of flip, those amazing helicopter kicks one and the other. But there was not a real Capoeira game. And the guy wrote that in the article. Yeah, they yeah, said yeah. something like, oh, a lot of flips, very impressive, blah, blah, blah. But Capoeira game, we didn't really see it. You know, and so then I realized at that point that there was already an awareness about what Capoeira was, you know? Yeah. That your your work was already there, your 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 promotional work was starting to have a, an effect as well. Was starting to work exactly, exactly. And the, and the, did you when you moved you you did you did you uh, stay in San Francisco straight? Did you go to other places? How was that? Uh, you know what took you to to San Francisco? What, what actually took you to the U.S.? You always had the idea of going to the U.S. or is it? an opportunity that arose, how did that come about? Yeah, well, Pedro, you know, 1984 was still a uh, dictatorship here in Brazil. Yeah. You know, and I, and I was like, honestly, Pedro, I was sick and tired of the scene here in Brazil, man. It was like, no, you, you, I had recently graduated in physical education, but everybody's saying, you know, forget it. There is no, a future for you in physical education in Brazil because you know nothing is really rolling here economy was terrible inflation 200% a year and then Messi Accordion came to Brazil in, in 1983 and did the tour uh, all over Brazil and he really liked the capoeira that he saw at Mestre Suassuna's Academy Accordion de Ouro mm -hmm. so then he invited Mestre Suassuna to come the, the following year to an event that he was organizing there. He was a batizado, basically. He was putting together a batizado and he wanted to have some special guests from Brazil. So then he basically brought me there along with uh, Biriba, which was my training partner, Mestre Biriba, yeah. and Mestre Suassuna and, and Mestre Rizadinha, that is now known as, as Zambi. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so we went there and we spent one month traveling around doing shows doing all kinds of uh you know interviews we recorded a record through smithsonian which was a really nice record that master accordion did you know and uh and then towards the end of that tour uh, one of master accordion's academy which was a martial artist that had a famous academy in the bay area he invited uh you know he said look you know you guys are here I know you are about to go back to Brazil, but if any of you wants to stay, I would like to hire you to teach Capoeira in my studio, my martial arts studio. And I just raised my hand and said, I want to stay, you know? Jump at the opportunity. So, so there was an opportunity, you know? I wanted to learn English. I want to, you know, uh, and so I thought that I was going to be in the U.S. for about six months or so. But then I kept staying and... Uh, Every time I got in touch with Brazil, with friends, with relatives, everybody kept saying, don't come back. Things here are horrible. Nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, stay there for a while until things are better, you know. Yeah. And I kept staying, but you know, you know how Brazil is, you know. I mean, those days, things didn't get better very quickly, Yeah. you know. And I just kept staying, you know, I kept staying. Then I started receiving invitations to travel. Uh, you know, I, I went to, with Messi long to... To, you know, to Europe and to Canada. There was another guy in San Francisco that was uh, named uh, José Lourenço. He was the one who brought the Brazilian culture to the Bay Area, to San Francisco. And José Lourenço started inviting me with his troupe called Batucajé, 
we started traveling all over and I, you know, I said, you know, if I go back to Brazil, I'm not going to have those opportunities. Of course. You know, I got to stay here while I'm young because I was young at the time, you know, 26, 84, how, how old were you then? 20, in 84, I was 25. 25. I was 25. Yeah, same yeah, so, age, same age as, yeah. uh, as, uh, as me when I, when I, when I arrived in, in, when in, you in the... In Scotland, yeah, and uh, it's it, for me it was similar in in the sense that, you know, real. I think people. It. I mean, Brazil. Now that I live abroad, I see that Brazil, in a way, is a very insular uh, uh, culture and like community. And because we are so far down there on the south, and and people really think that real was the like the center of the world, you know. And it's really nice, you know. You go to the beach, and you know what's happening. There's always like a going out a bar here and the nightlife yeah. is really good but i you know i guess by by 25 i was you know uh i wanted to travel you know i wanted to to go i always had this this uh this image in my head of of going around you know and uh and uh, mm -hmm. yeah it was was a great opportunity that capoeira had opened uh all these all these doors uh for me and uh, also you you managed to 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 have such an impact in the capoeira in the U.S., but also you 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 were one of the pioneers taking capoeira to other countries as well, right? Yeah, well, it, this one thing uh, came uh, came after the other, you know. One thing brought the other because in the U.S., as you know, you know, U.S. is a country that uh, has a lot of uh, foreigners there, you know. Yeah, so I had had students from all over the world. I had one student that was from Israel. I had another one that was from New Zealand. And uh, and those, you know, years passed by. Those people trained capoeira for 10, 15 years. They graduated in capoeira and they left and they moved back to their countries. You know, like a, a student of mine moved back to New Zealand. And when he went back there, there was no capoeira at all in New Zealand. So he started a capoeira movement there. And uh, things kept, you know, kept growing. It was new. Everybody loved it. You know, everything that happened. Same thing happened in Israel. This student of mine, Daniel Sapo, he went back to Israel and he didn't even have the idea of staying in Israel. He wanted to come and live in Brazil, as a matter of fact. But then he started teaching capoeira because he was, you know, training a lot. And he started, he started training capoeira in the park. And people started seeing and asking him, hey, teach this to me, teach this. And, and he saw that there was a potential there. So people started training with him. And and and, and from that point on, the, the, the rest is history. You know, he met one one of his main students was, uh, is now Master Idan, you know, that ended up uh, actually really boosting up the whole promotion of, of Capoeira and did the good marketing. And, and now Capoeira in, in Israel is huge, Capoeira in New Zealand is huge, you know, I also had the students, uh, students of students that started teaching in China, and you know, I went there, and now Capoeira is really big in China, and it's stuff like that, you know? Yeah, I, I had uh, come across, I, you know, I have a student who is in, in Guangzhou, and uh, I've been for four times I think in there and always the the, the guys from Shanghai, uh, Shanghai comes in and for the workshops it's a nice little community there I mean uh, mm -hmm. you 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 have been to China a, a, a few times it's a, it's an amazing you know for me to go there and have an experience of that because 
you know, culture-wise, if there is like a culture uh, spectrum, I would say that China is the furthest away from 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 Brazilian culture, and it's it's amazing. Yes and no, Pedro. Yes and no. Okay. I I thought I thought the same thing too, but I went to I have been going to China for the past twelve years. Every year, this last year was the first year that I didn't go because of the pandemic. You know. Okay. And, uh, and and there are certain things that are very distinct and very different than, than, than Brazil. Yes. But there's some other stuff that is actually quite similar, you know. Okay. One of the things that are similar is the way that uh, the, the popular culture in, in China, like people like to hang out outside a lot, they talk to each other, they're in a way they're more open in their way, you know. Yes. And um, they're very friendly, they're very, even though they are very shy, Chinese, yeah. generally speaking, are very shy. They are very friendly, and and they really love like uh, natural stuff, like the natural healing stuff, the natural food. They pay a lot of attention to the culinary and stuff like that. And it was difficult to get them into capoeira exactly yes. because of their shyness. No, you know, they they are not very outgoing in terms of trying foreigner stuff. They think that it. You know that they don't fit in that is not but it takes a while to break the ice but once when you break the ice they love it you know they love it very, and uh, very interesting because in in in, in, a, in a in china you know there is a lot of like expats that are living there and uh, in, in the group that i have there the, the majority of them are expats but uh, what i what i what i heard is that your group in shanghai is the one that managed to to break through to the local you know chinese i am i am very fascinated about chinese culture you know it's like a, a civilization state of 5000 right. years culture and everything and and uh, I think this is the main, you know, because with with my work in in Indonesia has always been with uh, with uh, the local Indonesians there, and you know through that getting to know understand a little bit of the Eastern culture. But uh, mm. but uh, I find that it's really important. I mean, even as as a as a strategy to develop the capoeira in the place is for you to connect with uh, with uh, the local you know uh, culture the local exactly yeah and yeah. Uh, i i did see that i was doing some classes outside and you would see that they have this culture of like they have those big buildings and then the playground and all the kids running around which in a way is very similar to brazil now that i stop and think about how people hang outside <laughs> in the end of the afternoon and stuff mm -hmm, exactly I mean, and they have some other stuff, Pedro, that reminds me a lot of the interior of Brazil. Mm. Even in the big cities, the behavior of people are very similar to the behavior of the interior of Brazil. It's, it's really awesome. I mean, I'll tell you something, man. I have a lot, after being in China so many times, I have a lot of respect for these people, you know? Yeah. Because first of all, they are really hard workers. Yes. They are really hard workers. They are amazing, man. You just tell them to do something, they go ahead and they do it, you know. And um, second of all, they are very connected uh, with the community. They have, they, they do build this community. And you walk sometimes in, in open uh, public squares there on the weekends, for example, 
and you see like tons of old people doing all kinds of different things. Yes. Sometimes they're dancing with each other. They put a music there and they dance. Sometimes they do a karaoke and yeah. where it's free. Anybody can go and take their mic and start talking. Sometimes yeah. they're doing Tai Chi. And so, so you can see that they are very inclusive. Yes. And, and, and the interesting thing, Pedro, the interesting thing about it, which was, a, which was actually, for me, um, a, curi a very curious thing. I ask, I have a, a students in Shanghai, you know, they are from all over the world, you know. Yes. And, I, and I have a student there, there is a, a black dude from America, you know. Yeah. And and after talking to him, I I you know I just asked him you know I said his nickname is Lobinho, and I said Lobinho, what wow. is it that you like about living in China? Because you know he had been there for ten years I think, and he said, Master, one of the things for me that is the greatest thing here is even though I'm very different because he's black, he said I don't find uh, discrimination, I don't find prejudice. People are not prejudiced against me. People just treat me like normal. Now, I mean, they treat me like somebody that is different. They look at me differently. They're curious about it. But there's an innocence about it. And there's no prejudice, no kind of a mistreated, being mistreated because of that. And so, and that was one, an aspect that I really liked about China. You know, they're very down to earth and they're very truthful, very real, you know. And uh, and uh, you you've managed to to go to Shanghai. Which other cities did you did you go there? Yeah, the, everything started in in Shanghai. You know, there was a student of a student of mine actually from New Zealand that was teaching capoeira to a group in Shanghai even before I went there. And uh, but then this guy moved back to to New Zealand. And uh, I ended up getting in touch with uh, the highest level student that was left there in Shanghai. And he invited me to come over and, and teach some workshops. You know? And after that, you know, I started going every year, like twice a year. But the group started growing. And then the same thing happened that happened in the U.S. Some of these high level students started moving to other cities. Cities, yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, uh, I went to Beijing and uh, now we, we have a group in Hangzhou, which is also a big city, you know, and uh, we have a, you know, a group that is started through the group uh, in, uh, in Shanghai. We started a, a school in, um, in Taiwan, you know, which Taiwan, technically speaking, yeah. is not China, but it's Chinese culture, totally, yes. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so it, it, now we are in about like uh, five different, uh, not even including Taiwan, we have, we're in five different towns, but don't ask me the name of the other two because I can't say it <laughs> in Chinese. You know? But uh, it's, uh, it's really nice. I mean, I, I like I said, I've, I've been to Guangzhou a few times, but what I also realized is that there is... Uh, they they have a good relationship among groups, you know, at least with with my guy right. who's there. I know they support each other's event, and it's a nice right. it's a nice community, you know, a capoeira community where they try to do things together, and you know, there's always like this good good vibes, which is not so much. I mean, it, not that it's not so much, but it's not the case. And everywhere you go, sometimes there's a lot of rivalry. Right. Right. People, you know, in the UK here, for example, there was this strange idea that once you started in a town 
like the town was yours. And then the guy would say, hey, you cannot stay in this town, like, uh, like uh, he was the boss of town, you know? But uh, it's, uh, it's nice to see that that's the situation there, there in, 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 in China. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I, I saw that happening in, in some places. I mean, it was this whole territorial mentality. I think, to be honest with you, Pedro, I think that this mentality came from the people from Brazil that were going to those places and started teaching. Yeah. You know, yeah, of course. In a way, you know, it was very difficult to to get students everywhere you go to start Caputo from ground zero. It's difficult. And then those guys, when they created a little work there, a little group, they kind of felt like uh, possessive. They felt, okay, you know, yeah. I'm 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 the boss of the of the region here. But, yeah. you know, as anything else, you know, things in the future, they kept changing because, you know, the, the yeah. truth of the matter is Capoeira is a free art form and anybody can do it, you know. No, for sure. And and uh, and I know that Capoeira has this tribal elements, you no, know, like, it, you know, it's something like that you have your group characteristics. And, you know, yeah. if you look back in the day, there was these divisions. But in the end of the day, it's it's uh, you can't really stop people from from. Uh, you know, and and things cannot be cannot be settled like they used to be settled back in Brazil. I mean, not even today yeah. you can settle that like that anymore. You know, like no, you yeah, to, you know exactly. I mean? exactly. But, uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's very nice to see to see this. And uh, going back to Brazil and uh, talking about your your beginning in capoeira. When when did you start uh, uh, training capoeira? Yeah, well, I started in Capoeira in 1974, Pedro. Okay. The, the way that I started was uh, in the neighborhood that I live in, in uh, that's in the north part of Sao Paulo, Sao Paulo City. Um, there were a few people that, that did some Capoeira, and, and one day they did a demo at the school, and I saw for the first time, and I, I liked it, and after I went to talk to the guys, and... There was nobody really teaching. There were no capoeira school on the north side of Sao Paulo. The only places there were was in downtown. And, uh, you know, Messi Asuna, Messi Zé de Freitas, Messi Joel, Messi Brasília, Mestre Silvestre. There were a few of the, what they call the group of nine. You know, have you heard of the group of nine? No, no, I have not. The group of nine were the first nine masters that arrived in, in Sao Paulo from Bahia and started doing a capoeira movement here, you know, in the, in, in the early 60s. And uh, so, so I started training on the streets with those guys uh, that knew a little bit of capoeira. And I did on the streets for, for about a year or a year and a half or so. And then... Uh, a friend of mine said, and I, but I was so into it that this friend of mine said, no, you got to go and train at an academy, man. You got to look for a real mastery. And I just kept procrastinating, saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I eventually I will. You know, eventually I will. I need to learn a little more. But I, then a friend of mine just said, you know what? I'm going to take you to a Capoeira Academy. I'm going to take you. And he said, let's meet on, over the weekend and you're going to go see. So he took me to to a place in uh, in downtown Sao Paulo called Sesc. And man, when I saw, I had, Pedro, I had never seen a capoeira roda before. Because when we trained on the streets, we played capoeira with each other, we did moves, 
but I had never seen a real Honda. When I saw the Honda, man, the next day I was there paying my monthly fee, buying my my Abada, my uniform, and I said, "That's it. I want this is for real. I want to do this." You know, and, so uh, and then, I, sorry, uh, at a moment you you knew that you wanted to do capoeira for real, but were you already decided like this is what I want to do with my life, or was like, no, I have to I have to do capoeira. Pedro, I'll tell you something, man. I don't know why, you know. Well, the, now I kind of know why, but I, you know, what happened? I didn't know why at the time. I was living in a very aggressive neighborhood, you know, and the, in my days, there were a lot of street fights in Brazil and a lot of stuff. And I, I'm not a big guy, you know, I'm a small frame guy, you know. Uh, meter and, and 70 you know in, in english is like five seven five eight or something you know yeah yeah and uh and i you know and i was involved in some situations on, on street fights that were very scary and i kept thinking man one of these days i'm gonna be in big trouble so i need to learn something to to defend myself and i think that the need the real need of uh defending yourself gave me this whole uh insight of uh, wanting to do capoeira real bad because uh because i saw in capoeira also what the young people see you know it's an exciting thing you know people doing acrobatic stuff people doing amazing things you couldn't understand how those two people were moving together and not getting hit and not and um and so i I felt from the beginning, I felt that I wanted to train capoeira until I graduated a cap as a capoeira teacher. I never thought of myself as being a capoeira master, you know? Okay. I felt, oh, I was too young, you know, 15 years old, 16 years old. I didn't know. I just kept thinking, I'm going to do this. I'm going to one day start teaching capoeira and, and I want to do all the way to the end, you know? But then, you know, after I graduated in Capoeira and started teaching many, many years, I started realizing, Pedro, which for me has been the biggest realization, honestly, that I had in, in Capoeira in my life, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you teach Capoeira, and you, I know that you know that, because you also have been teaching for a while, it, it's inevitable that sometimes students come to you and say, Master, you know, Capoeira has done so many good things for me uh, before I was depressed or I was in trouble, I was vulnerable, almost getting into drugs. And you, you find all kinds of statements from people that come to you and give you all this nice statement, you know. Yeah. Then I started looking back and I, and I started feeling, you know, feeling good about myself that I was doing something good to other people. But then I started thinking about it, I said, well, wait a minute, this thing happened to me yeah you know yeah. i realized it happened to me because uh, i was involved in a lot of trouble but once when i started training capoeira i got out of trouble and i had never even noticed that but once when i started training capoeira i didn't fight anymore i was not involved in those gang shit, you know and i just I, I realized that capoeira for me was actually a healing thing that helped me to heal myself from all the fear that i had of the world because when I was a kid, I was involved in a lot of fights, and and I was basically a street fighter. But uh, you know, I was I didn't like that. I only did that because it was there was no option. You know, yeah. there was no option. I had to defend myself, 
but I didn't like that. I the, down deep inside, I had a lot of fear. I, I was in some situations that I thought that I was going to die. You know? Yeah, was was it like uh, like uh, like a gang? Not a gang, but like because you lived in the street, there was a rivalry with people from other street, or how was it? Yeah, neighborhood, neighborhood uh, against neighborhood, street against the street. Yeah. You know, there was this rivalry, and then. Shortly after, it started uh, happening this a little bit of a movement of uh, of uh, crimes. You know, mm -hmm. there were some of the people in the neighborhood that started doing crime. They started, you know, uh, doing robbery. They started smoking. In those days, they were not even drugs. They're just smoking. You know, yeah. And if you didn't join, and you know, when you went to school, they those kids they were also going to the same public school that I was going. You know, so during the school. They would make the little, you know, we call in Brazil panelinha, you know, the yeah, little yeah, group. Yeah. They would come and try to intimidate you to either join them or to get out of there, you know. Yeah. And uh, and so so it was it was a scary time, you know. And and so then I realized later on that capoeira was a great tool that helped me to heal myself from the fear that I had of that vulnerable situation. And now I was doing the same thing, helping. Because in the U.S., I taught in, in very bad neighborhoods, too. I taught, I had a special program for kids there that was uh, capoeira for kids at risk. You know, some of those kids today are my instructors in the U.S. And they are, you know, so so I felt there was a, a you know, a, a contribution back that I was giving, you know. No, amazing, amazing. And uh, when, when you you saying that you, you started at SESC, was it already with uh, Master Suasuna? No, that was not with Mestre Suassuna. Uh, Sesc, there was a mestre uh, named uh, Alvimar, which he was a former student, actually, of Mestre Brasilia. But I didn't even know uh, anything. I didn't even know anything about groups. In, as a matter of fact, in those days, Pedro, there was no such a thing as groups. Yeah. You know? There were no such a thing as groups. Capoeira was capoeira. And so I, I trained with Alvimar for about a year, And then Alvimar left Sesc and went to teach at, uh, at Liberdade, which was a neighborhood very far from where I live. And, and since I, I worked full time my entire life, you know, my, when I was a kid, you know, I come from a very, very simple family. And we, as you know, we had to work as a kid, you know, 14 years old, I was already working from nine to five. And, and I would go to night school and I could train capoeira only on the weekends, Saturdays and Sundays, yeah. you know. So, but if I missed the first bus in the morning, I would not get my class, uh, you know, at Liberdade because it was too far. So yeah. I started looking around to find other places to, to, to you know, to train. And that, that's how I finally ended up finding Mesuasuna which was in downtown, an easy place to get, and they had classes Saturdays and Sundays, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, I mean, uh, like I said, I, my my getting to know Mestre Suassuna and, and getting to know just, it's like a, 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 a you know, a, a machine making, or capoeiristas, you know, capoeirista yeah. uh, making machine. Yeah. It's amazing the, 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 you know, the capoeirista that I've come across. And and uh, I I 
those guys that I was in when I was a young kid and going around, you know, 16, 17. And it was, it was amazing. The, the, like your, your generation, I've, I've, I've met some of them playing, you know, like, uh, Mestre Biriba and all this. And, and, uh, uh, afterwards as well, it, it was, a uh, was a great, you know, and you, so you, you were only doing weekends. I mean, you were 16 at the time, 17, something like that. Yes. Yeah. I was like 16 and I could only train at the academy. I could only train over the weekends because uh, again, I worked yeah, was, in, in yeah. study all week long. Right. But what happened, Pedro was this, you know, uh, believe it or not, I would come home, you know, like from school, I would arrive late and I would do my own training sometimes from 11 at night to midnight. And then when it was like a school break, vacation time, then I would go to Mestre Suassuna's Academy every day. So throughout the year, I was managing to train more than only once a week, but not uh, taking classes at the Academy, I was just doing my own trainings, you know. And uh, until I graduated in 1980, when I graduated in 1980, first thing I did was I opened my own academy and I said, now I'm going to train every day, you know. <laughs> I started like, you know, that was it. My routine changed completely. I started training every day and uh, it, it made a big difference, you know. But, uh, but in my days... Uh, I, I was saying earlier, you know, there was no such a thing as groups, but uh, but actually there was one group, which was actually the only one group in Brazil, which was Group Senzala. Yeah. You know, and Fasuna at the time, he was a very good friends with uh, with Messi Camisinha, you know, known as Camisa now and Mespechinho. And he would sometimes go to Rio to visit Camisa. You know, and he would invite and, and you know, he, he, and I would go with him. I said, oh, I would like to go. So, so it was very impressive to see uh, the power uh, when people come together and want to work together because that was something that I really liked about Group Senzala. It was like this organization that people respected each other and they had a common ground goal, which was to train a lot to make every, everybody better, yeah. you know. And I really like that. I really like that. And and in Sao Paulo, there was no such a trend. There were only academies. And Mesuasuna even told us six months after we graduated. He said, look, you're going to graduate in six months. You start thinking about a name for your school already. And he literally said to us, because when you graduated, I don't want to see the name Cordon de Oro at the, at the door of your academy. You know, yeah, it was like yeah. that, Pedro. And the reason why it was like that, not too many people know, it was because in, in, the, in the old days, the masters, they didn't have as much control of the students as they have now. And so if somebody graduated, they felt independent to go on and do whatever they wanted. Mm. And a lot of people in Capoeira, they were like, uh, you know, tough dudes. They were like doing, they were up to no good. Yeah, yeah, they were doing a lot of, a lot of shit that the masters didn't like it, you know. Yeah. So mastery, they were very violent, very aggressive. They would go out and started. They would visit. I I, I witnessed that as soon as I came. I was there training. 
all of a sudden somebody would come to the door like 15 20 capoeiristas like strong would say who is the master here you know we came here to play capoeira today and and then it was almost an insult you if you didn't accept those people to play yeah it was like you were basically you were chicken out if yeah. you were not didn't accept you were chicken out that meant that your school was weak so they would accept and say yeah come on in and of course fights, fights would break out and yeah. yeah it was like you know and so so masters they didn't want their students representing them and yeah, doing yeah. shit like that outside yeah, and, so they and, said and go the, ahead also because he was like you said the military time you know and all you needed was somebody with your t-shirt there and do and you know or people yeah. here say and then it's a it's a very it's a you know it's like liability so he was like trying to minimize because you know the character <laughs> that you had around and i i, I yeah. totally understand well. and the, it's really nice what you mentioned uh, about the group sanzala because in a way, Group Sanzala was very organically, you know, they, they, there was no, they never pretend to be what they were. They just had this thing about the passion for training and and, and that uh -huh. is, is uh, uh, very true. But I, what I, I, I wanted to, to shift uh, uh, now to, you know, because you've been teaching, uh, you've, you, you've been teaching abroad a long time and you also were teaching in Brazil before and I guess you also did events. How do you see the capoeira teaching abroad, uh, uh, how you see the, the, this influence that capoeira going abroad had in capoeira itself? Do you think, you know, you think there was any influence? And if so, what? how do you see that? Well, honest, honestly, Pedro, I, I think that one of the best things that could have happened to capoeira was that capoeira left Brazil. Because uh, once when we started teaching uh, abroad and uh, we started developing a good work, Capoeira in a way was not uh, influenced by Capoeira in Brazil. You know, because uh, in those days it was not very easy to travel to Brazil. As I said before, there yeah. were no internet and nothing like that. So we kept doing our work, you know, isolated there and creating good Capoeiristas. And when we came back to Brazil, because, you know, capoeiristas, uh, they, they are tourists that they come to Brazil, not to stay for a week like people, like people that come for carnival. Yeah. They come to Brazil to stay for a month, for six months, sometimes for a year or to live here in Brazil because they want to really learn the art. They want to learn the language, you know. As you know, capoeira is, is said to be... The, the the Brazilian cultural art form the most yeah. uh, the biggest disseminated sport. Yeah, yeah. In Portuguese language right yeah yeah and uh, and so when we started traveling back to Brazil with capoeira groups and and the people in Brazil started seeing the power of capoeira uh, the capoeira had they started respecting capoeira. The capoeiristas here in Brazil started respecting capoeira more. Mm. You know, they started respecting the foreigners. You know, they started getting an in, uh, invitation to go and teach abroad. And when they got to teach abroad, they couldn't get there and do the same stuff that they did in the Rodas over exactly. here. Exactly. Because, yes. you know, 
You know, in the U.S., if you if you like uh, kick somebody ass really bad and hurt somebody, you you can be in big trouble. Yeah, you can go to you know? jail. Yeah, you can go to jail, and and so and the mentality is very different. The people very that different. train in those places, they're usually a little older. They people they're professional. They I have in the U.S. people they're doctors, engineers, uh, you know, all kinds of high level. Uh, you know, jobs that if one of these guys get hurt in the next day, he can't go to job is a big problem. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, so it's a very interesting. Mentality... Go ahead. Sorry. Um, no, because you were saying that you started capoeira because of a martial arts need. You needed the the, the safety. Right. You, know, you need to feel that you 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 know you needed to learn a martial art. But the, this is the the magic of capoeira is that sometimes you can be playing beating bow in the street and people would come in because of the music first was the, the what hooked them up and and a lot of other guys i was i was speaking to mestre china uh, was one of the guys who went i think about the same time 84 or 85 he went to you yes. and 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 uh, learning how to how do you say how how to adapt not not to adapt but to to make capoeira accessible for uh, a different demographics in a way you know because like you say like uh, this this influence that you you know the experience you're talking about of people coming to challenge the, your your capoeira academy and and you know fighting breaking out i i grew up with that kind of you know rivalry right. within capoeira right. and and uh, when when you when i came to to the to to the uk i you know i had the the the, the privilege because my father came for a, a masters in uh, end of 89 and i realized that that didn't fly well with with uh, you know with with the community so because it was still 89 capoeira was quite spread out you know not many big groups so if you wanted to be invited if you were going to be invited to an event and then be the guy who beats everyone up what happened is that nobody's going to invite you next time and 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 even exactly. students itself didn't want to didn't want to do this and uh, this is this is is definitely one of the 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 things that I see that Capoeira has done. And also, I think the other thing was the setup of a Capoeira event. You know, before a lot of the time, Capoeira was like a one day thing. You know, and would do just like the batizado, and then they would have like at least in Rio, you would have the the table with many fruits, and people would have the the fruits and tell. Yeah, yeah. But in Europe. I don't know if in the US it was probably the same. You start having this like three days, four days capoeira event. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and the, and the time as well. I remember this. The, 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 there was never a time to start. You say 12, you would arrive at two, and, and the, that cannot fly in, in you know, somewhere you pay per, per hour. Well, it was so much effort. You did an event in, in the US, you know, so I would bring like a. I don't know, three, four, five capoeiristas from Brazil. I mean, it was so much effort to put an event there that it, would, it didn't make any sense for you to do one day event and all these great masters coming from outside and, and just participating in one event. Oh, I still, I still have saved some of the schedule that I, that I have made from when I brought Mestre Suassuna to the US in, in, in the beginning when I was there. And we would have like two weeks of event you know, on the schedule, there were two weeks. He would go and teach like the whole week from Monday through, through Saturday. 
You know, he would teach class every day. There was something, oh, today is going to be this, tomorrow is going to be makulele, this other day we're going to do puxada de rede, this other day we're going to do roda. And like people would go crazy for that experience because they didn't have that. They didn't have an, a chance to see many good capoeiristas in one place at once. Yeah. You know, we, we taught classes every day, but they were playing capoeira with people that were as inexperienced as they were, except for the teacher, yeah. of course. Yeah. But, you know, capoeira, when you have a bunch of people that are experts, they create the, the whole atmosphere, the music, and, you know, the whole mantra of the singing and yeah. stuff like that. So the students, they just got in, you know, in awe. You know, and, and and it was exactly what you're saying. You know, it was not only three or four days. It was a whole week of event, yeah. you know. And, and that started actually changing the format of events in Brazil. Exactly, yes, yes. That's, that's now, in Brazil, people started saying, oh, wow, this works. Because those, those messages that went to our events there, they came back here and they saw that was very productive. That was a very good thing to do in that format. So they would come here and do the same thing, you know. You know, it's a, it's a very, it's it's a, you know, it's like a, in a way you can make this parallel to the Hoda, you know, like in a Hoda, whoever is in a Hoda influence the outcome of the Hoda. So the more people, different right. people that comes into the into Capoeira will have a, a, an influence in Capoeira itself. Mm -hmm. And and. Uh, so do you, you, we talk about this, you know, starting a capoeira, building up the work. Where do you think, how do you see capoeira in the near future? Uh, Pedro, you know, you're, you know, <laughs> the future now is something that is so... <laughs> so <laughs> yes. pandemic times, it's not the best it's time. Like to... We're living now, right? But um, honestly, I see this, you know, capoeira is, a, is an art form that has so many different uh, angles to be uh, explored, you know, and uh, it's, very, it's very hard to predict what could be. But uh, to be honest with you, what I think that there is a potential to happen in capoeira, uh, capoeira can be used as a, a great... Uh, form of therapy for people of uh, all kinds of different of healing of developing uh musical sense people you know and singing and it's so many things that i i think that there is room for eventually exist an, an uni university of capoeira you know university of capoeira where people would go in there and study history you know, and all the different, uh, you know, aspects of capoeira. I think that there is room for that. And if that happened, I think that the whole society will really benefit. That's what they do in China, for example, with the Confucius teaching. You know, Confucius before, it was only like uh, literature. People that were interested, they would read yeah. Confucius stuff. Now China created schools, with, which are Confucius schools. So people go there and they learn not only the philosophy of Confucius, but all the manners, all the things, and they learn also martial art, they learn other things. And I think that there is a, uh, there is a future for capoeira in that sense, you know. But, uh, but more than anything else, I think that uh, 
one of the things that eventually might end up happening in Capoeira is Capoeira being part of the Olympics, which, uh, which uh, I have never been a very big fan of, of that idea, but I think that is something that is inevitable. You know, mm-hmm. you, you see so many modalities of sports. Break dancing is going to be in the Olympics now. Yeah, I, I mean, heard. break dancing that is a street dance is going to be part of the Olympics. The capoeiristas are saying, why not capoeira? And, and I think, you know, I think that there is room for capoeira to, to also be there to explore. It's going to be different. It's not going to be the real capoeira thing. It's not going to be the essence. But uh, it's going to be one aspect of capoeira that could be presented in the Olympics. And to be honest, Pedro, I think that if that happens, it will help capoeira in the long run. For you sure. I, I, we have this conversation uh, within, within our group here, within my friends, of, you know, because most of the guys from my generation, they are all spread over Europe now. And, and there is a lot of, you know, for you, I mean, for people that relate in Capoeira, they, they, they build this relationship with Capoeira. And sometimes they have this very negative, oh, comp- Capoeira is not about competition. But in a right. way, it is. You know, it's a, it's it's not a clear winner or loser. But also, I remind them, and I said, look, you are forgetting the role that uh, Birimbal de Ouro had in the development right. of of Group Senzala in helping promote Group Senzala, and and uh, you know, so yeah, there are. I I I I had the privilege of of interviewing Mestre Paulo Ceará, uh, also mm-hmm. Mestre Chumbinho. That I don't know if you have met him. I, I believe he's in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they are really into the the you know organizing this this side of Capoeira's competition. I I I really think you know anything that can help promote Capoeira, I can see as a positive thing. I just think right. that we, we do need this to try to capture a little bit of that magic because in a way it's like when you saw Capoeira for the first time. You know, that moment mm-hmm. was the key moment that really you fell in love with it. And we need to, you know, like there is capoeira and there is competition. I think that the competition has to adapt to capoeira and not mm-hmm. the other way around, if, if, you, if you know right, what I mean. Right, 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 right. But, but yeah. uh, I'm sorry, yeah. go on. And, and I... Did you say something? No, go on, go on, please. No, no, I was just saying, um, I agree with that. And I also think that... Um, uh, some of the, the essence of capoeira is not going to be present in all these other facets that capoeira can be part of other than the real capoeira roda itself. I mean, you, it's irreplaceable. Irreplaceable. You go to a roda in Rio, it's happening a roda there at Senzala in this very small academy where the environment is kind of a... You know, there is, in a way, there is a there is a rule, but there is also an openness for anything to happen. It creates some kind of a atmosphere in the air that cannot be created in another environment. And and we capoeiristas really like that. We yeah. we like that. Uh, um, what you call it? That uh, the vibration, the, this yeah, atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's an atmosphere that is, it becomes kind of almost like a, a mantra that you go in a trance-like state. You know, yeah. you see some capoeiras that are really good, 
you see that they will probably respect you because of the mastery, but maybe not. Yeah. And you have to play in a more careful way. There's no real judge there. And that creates some atmosphere that brings something out of you as a human that I don't think that a competition or a stage or, or a video game or whatever can bring to you. Sure. It's only that, that situation. For and sure. that... I think, I think the most important thing is for us Caporistas to know how to preserve that, but not to ignore the other uh, possibilities that can also be good to Capoeira, like you're saying, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, 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 I wanted to, to, to go back to the thing you said that like this, this uh, the impact that Capoeira has on people. And uh, it's, it's funny because I really, I never managed to, to do this, you know, because I never really here in the UK managed to have an academy of myself. I used to hire the place and stuff, but I always thought uh -huh. of trying to document the impact that Capoeira had in the person just by taking the picture when he registered for Capoeira, you know, for a month when he decides he was going to train and you take a picture of that guy then and then you take uh -huh. a picture of the guy a year, a year later, you know, yeah. and you can see because he changed the way that the guy stands, the way that, that he reacts, how his confidence boosts, you know, and, uh, and, uh, Capoeira has also been used a lot as a, as a transformational social tool, you know, like mm -hmm. I've been right. with, with some work with the Capoeira, uh, with refugees and being in many places. And also now I've been doing the Capoeira Solidaria, which is, um, you know, is, is an attempt to, to, to look at what is happening, Capoeira in, in communities, you know, as a social work. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we talked before about this and you have an NGO, right, that you started. And uh, if, if you could tell us a little bit more about this. NGO that you mean is like a non-profit? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Pedro, I think that uh, um, as we were, we have been saying here, you know, the potential that Capoeira have to uh, to help out society in so many different ways is something that definitely needs to be more, um, you know, more uh, explored, you know. And I think that that is the way. I think that that is the way. The way for Capoeira to to be really successful and respected in the future is to use the potential of the best things that Capoeira have to offer in all levels of society. Because, you know, as you know, Capoeira integrates the rich with the poor, you know, the, the one that speaks English with the one that speaks French or Portuguese. There have been some amazing work being done, even in Israel. Those students of mine, they're, they're Israelis, they go and they play Capoeira with the Palestinians. And, you know, when they were, are in the Hoda, nobody is looking at each other differently. They're all having fun. And, and I think this is the greatest potential that Capoeira has. You know, now I do think that there, there is a long way to go because in terms of organization, Capoeira has a lot to grow. Yes. You know, Capoeira has a lot to grow. We need more people... They are uh, they are part of the you know of uh, what's the word the, not the administrative work but the administrative work also but people they are more like a, uh, also not business person but academic mm. more academic people they are 
that can see the potential of capoeira and can go to the higher departments of the of the governments like educational department and start creating laws where capoeira might be mandatory in schools or in all kinds of different levels of society so then we can start seeing a better turnout than yeah. than we can predict right now yeah. you know and so it's going to be i think that eventually is going to happen and i think honestly the time is now because yeah. uh, because uh, we are living in the communication era you exactly. know we're living in the communication era uh there is not uh, a lot of uh uh, I don't know how it is in the UK, you know, and in the US, there is a lot of funds for the arts. And, and as you said, I created a nonprofit organization there. And we have been able to tap into some funds uh, for to help the work that we do. As a matter of fact, uh, the whole program that I had to teach Capoeira for kids at risk, it was something that was funded by the, the U.S. government, but this was, uh, you know, it depends on what administration is in power. Yeah. You know, and when I, I was doing that during the Clinton administration, there was a lot of money for the arts and, and stuff like that. And it was great. I got paid really well to teach classes every day, you know, in a school that had 1,700 students that was in the one of the most dangerous peripheries of Oakland. You know, Oakland, which is a very, a very violent town. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, what I think they need to do, the people need to do is that those people, they have a greater academic uh, knowledge. They need to start going into the, the resources that are out there. Yeah. And they started looking for uh, funds that will support this type of thing. Because we see a lot of funds... Uh, for performing groups, you know, and uh, we see funds for religious groups and stuff like that, but we don't see as much funds for arts. You yeah. know, art, in, in the eye of the governments, arts is something that's kind of uh, superfluous. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. so, so the, so if anything goes wrong with the economy, yes, art is the first thing, thing that they cut off and the last thing that will come back in. Yeah. You know? And so, so with that in mind, I think the one important thing for Capoeiristas to think is we need to create our autonomy in some ways. We don't need to be completely independent financially. We still would welcome funds from the governments and stuff like that. Yes. But I think that uh, now that we have the power of the internet to create fundraisers, and as you know, you know, those are great tools that we can learn better how to use to create our own projects and then present good results with the projects that we're yeah. creating. Yeah. Because if people start doing that only to put money on their pockets, it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. You know? And it's, 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 it's the, this is the experience that I had, you know, this, there was this, uh, this charity organization called Capoeira for Refugees. And uh, it's an amazing story because this guy, he was a beginner in Capoeira and he was, uh, his name is uh, Tarek and he's half German, half Syrian. And he was moving back to Syria and he was teaching a little bit like a totally informally capoeira. And then the Iraq war broke out 
no, not the Iraq war, but there were like some refugees that were in Syria. And then he started teaching there. And then he started realizing that the kids, you know, there was like a big UN compound and in a very poor area of Syria. So there was this rivalry because he was teaching the first class and then, you know, project like people were throwing rocks. And then he understood it was like kids from outside from the poor area were jealous of the Iraqi kids that were inside the compound. And then he, he decided to, okay, let's bring the kids here. In the first day, the kids didn't join, you know, but then gradually he managed to bring, you know, the Syrian Iraqi kids, you know, working together, teaching capoeira. And uh, a yeah. UN person, she started documenting. I'm, I'm, I'm making like a, a oversimplification of the story. Uh -huh. but what, what, what he did is that he started like, uh, uh, registering stories of like how, for example, this assimilation between the kids started getting along, and he created this this uh, this work that you know at some point was over all over uh, in, in many places in the Middle East, and when afterwards a few years later, when the war broke out in Syria and there was the, the Islamic State, you know, he mm -hmm. had a, a capoeira instructor that was in the city of Raqqa. Raqqa was the capital of, the, of the, the Islamic State. And the guy was teaching capoeira, hidden, of course, without the music, but he was saying that it was sport and he was teaching the, 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 the kids there yeah. under the nose of, of ISIS. And these are stories that I saying, like at the time he couldn't even tell about this because the guy was there. You know, right. but, but there are so many powerful stories like this. But the main thing was was this is like is this side of capoeira that we need to, like you said, is about documenting the the result of what right. you're doing. And uh, and uh, this, you know, when I started the capoeira solidaria, I realized that we don't have data. We don't have like how many social projects are there in Brazil. You know, uh -huh. and the same question that you 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 said like, is there money for it? And and the the, the interesting thing is, is yes, there is money for for yes. if you are an association, but you have to be an association, and you have to be organized in the sense that. You know, for you to receive the next year, you have to show how you spend every single penny. So I, I, I see a lot of potential. And, and this is one of the, the goals that we're trying to do is, is try to get, you know, who is doing what, where, you know. So first right. finding out what is there and then try right. to how best we can help, you know, by, by making this connection. The, 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 the frustrating thing is that right now we are in the middle of this pandemic. So all I can do right. is, is talk about it and try to make connection. We're trying to map every single Capoeira uh, social project. And, uh, and uh, right. it's been, uh, uh, and, and, and try to make this, you know, because it's, in a way, it's it's unrealistic to think that someone that may be teaching in his community, maybe someone who is unemployed, doesn't you know, haven't finished high school, that that guy is gonna set up an organization that is gonna do you know all this. It's it, it's unlikely. It has happened. You know, there are a few cases. We I've mapped 28 uh, initiatives, and out of those 28 initiatives, only two are formally register 
all of the other ones are informal. You know, so the, the challenge that we are now is how do we become the middleman on, on trying to tap into funding and then fund those, those guys, you know, but uh, it's, right. uh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing, I see like the amazing power that, that uh, Capoeira mm -hmm. has. But Master, I just before we go, we, we've been, uh, you know, talking, uh, it's, it's really, time it really has flew. We have been now. A Just to finalize, I wanted to ask you, what would be your advice for young capoeiristas, you know, that are thinking about starting working with capoeira or are already just starting to work with capoeira? What would be your advice for them? Um... Pedro, if there is any advice for me to, to, to give to people, I would say this, you know. Uh, first of all, uh, keep in mind that not everybody that is uh, learning capoeira, that is coming to capoeira class, uh, have the intention of becoming a capoeira teacher or capoeira master one day. And I think we need to get out of that mentality. We need to be very inclusive and, and respect the... Uh, the pace and the potential of everybody because there might be somebody that comes to your class that is completely uncoordinated that does not have the gift to learn things movement very easily but this person can be very helpful to you in some other different uh, ways like for example this person might have an academic formation that eventually could be the one that will be helping you into finding out about different funds, different things, because this person loves Kapoor in the same way that you love. They are just not as gifted with movements, but they might be gifted in different ways that can be helpful. Yeah. And so Capoeira needs to be more inclusive in this way. Because the old mentality of Capoeira was like, oh, everybody that trains Capoeira, you gotta be a great Capoeirista. No. Some people are not training capoeira with the intent of becoming, you know, an amazing capoeirista. They just want to learn a little bit, to have a good experience in the roda, and to learn enough for them to have fun. That's it. You know, so, so if you are getting into the capoeira, into the world of teaching capoeira, don't put onto your students those expectations. Just let it flow, just like capoeira is. Let, let it flow like a regular game. Teach your capoeira, observe who are the people that are talented and gift, gifted in a way that maybe you can give them a different attention in terms of uh, creating a capoeira teacher because we will need good capoeira teachers in the future anyway. But don't, uh, don't undermine the other people that are not the gifted people, the talented people with movement because these people can be the greatest helpers uh, to capoeira and we need these people so so let's make capoeira something even more inclusive than uh what already is great you know very nice master i'd like to thank you very much for your time and i think it's been a lesson you know for guys who are going to be listening to this uh, and i'm very very happy with it thank you very much master Have a good thank you pedro thank you so much and hey don't forget if you come to brazil Come to visit me in Ubatuba, all right? Sure. And, uh, you know, and if I go over there, I'll go look for you. And, and something that is off the, you know, the records here, 
Uh, I know that you have some work in Asia there with your students, so let's do something together sometimes, okay? For sure. I look forward to be able to play in a Honda, you know, just to travel because this year is we've been, uh, although we've been lucky, you know, nobody has been affected directly, but uh, yeah, it's been a challenging year. Everybody's trying to cope in the best possible way. But thank you very much, Mestre. Until the next time, Axé. Salve, Pedro. Axé. Tchau. So that was it, guys. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did the conversation with uh, Mestre Marcelo Caveirinha. Really nice of him to make up the time. And uh, just before you go, I just want to give you guys a quick update on the Capoeira Solidaria uh, project. We are reconsidering new approaches. You know, we have no small task ahead. We want our ultimate goal is to, to build a database of the different projects being happening in Brazil, you know, taking place in Brazil. And uh, as you know, Capoeira is very tribal, it's very group based. So it will take a little longer than initially thought to, to, to be able to connect with the community as a whole. And also it's a massive community. And uh, at the same time, we want to keep talking about what we have done and what we want to do. So here in Europe and possibly in the US, we can create a network of uh, capoeira groups that uh, would be willing to, to support, you know, and we can say to them, look, these are the projects we have mapped so far. This is what they need, you know, and uh, do a fundraiser for them. And uh, we, we are trying, we'll be trying different uh, approaches, see what works and what doesn't. We want to, to start an uh, organization in Brazil so we can eventually uh, be able to receive government grants so we can pass it on. Uh, based, this, this uh, approach is based on what we have so far. Uh, on the data that we collected, you know, it, the data basically says that most of the work that we have in Brazil happening right now, they are invisible to the government, they are invisible to the private sector because they are informal. So I have the, the, the privilege of knowing quite a bit of capoeira, you know, people in the capoeira community and uh, the plan is to make uh, a standard project that would support financially the different works and uh, you know we at the same time you know those in those two years it's gonna take for us to, to be able to do that but in the meantime we want to partner up with different groups who might you know have already the, the most of the documentation needed to receive those grants you know and then what we can do is is have a project you know a, a, a a template of a project that they could use and this is what the, the strategy we're gonna try to do in the meantime but uh, we also you know so we want to try to see what is available funding wise and also we want to be able to raise our own funds through our community so it's a, it's not a, a short-term goal it's something long you know like a long goal is, it's not a it's not a sprint it's a marathon we are uh, you know working towards so and if you have any comments you know if you know our project just reach out to me on capoeira solidaria we are on instagram and facebook and also you can find what we've done so far on the website www.sanzala.co.uk so that was it guys i hope you enjoyed don't forget to subscribe share with your friends and uh, i'll see you next time i share Oh, lá, 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 l